Okay, good morning everyone. It's an exciting morning. It's our 100th Emuna Shir. It's like the 100th day of school for kids when they make a little party. There's really no precedent or source for making a party when you have a 100th Shir. But I thought that uh, since the topic that we've been studying over the last several weeks are the uh, brachos of Birchas Anen and the blessings that we recite before enjoying and benefiting from this world, and the source of that is that we make 100 brachas a day. It's codified in the Shulchan Arach, the Code of Jewish Law, based on the Gemara Menachos. The Talmud tells us, Don't read it, It's not what does God want from you, but read it, But a hundred times a day, we interrupt our day. I guess this morning we're not interrupting our day, it's at the beginning of the day. We're celebrating the number 100. So the number 100 represents the amount of times during our day that HaKadosh Baruch Hashem wants us to make a bid for connection. He wants us to connect with Him. So a hundred times during the day, we say, Hashem, wow, this cup of coffee. Hashem, wow, that worked out in the bathroom. Hashem, wow, I was able to say tefillah saderach. I just was able to have a, I hope I have a safe flight. A hundred times a day, and of course, the bulk of it, more than half, is covered through our Shemon Eswe. So since the magic number instituted by David HaMelech, our rabbis tell us that there was a plague that was striking down people, and David HaMelech's response was to institute making a hundred brachas a day. And the hundred brachas a day reconnected us, created a new connection between us and Hashem. It restored a relationship, and when we repaired and restored the relationship, the plague was lifted. So that number 100 has significance in terms of brachos, so it was appropriate that for the 100th shir, we'd make a brachos party. So we have a brachos party. I hope you're all enjoying, and I hope you all made brachos on what you're enjoying, and I hope you all tapped into each of the food that we have out. For those who are uh, listening online, you're missing a lavish breakfast. And I want to thank our sponsors uh, this morning, who all have sponsored this morning's shear and, um, and uh, sponsored the breakfast this morning. So first of all, I want to thank the anonymous person, Avigail Alpern, in memory of her beloved daughter, uh, Rachel, David and Susan Antin, in honor of... Oh, Rabbi Goldberg has a Muna class. That's nice. Essie Barry and Rabbi and Robertson Goldberg. Oh, boy. Hensha Gansberg in memory of her beloved mother, Brian Dobas Eliezer, in commemoration of her Eurotite. My mother, Mrs. Basheva Goldberg, in honor of Robertson Yochevet Goldberg. That's so nice. Oh, man, I'm going to get emotional. Zeldi and Benji Henner, in honor of her father, Harry uh, Skalkman, on his 80th birthday. Yvette Kaublum, in memory of her beloved mother, Manya Schlosser, Orly Levy, in appreciation of the Amuna class and the guy who teaches it, Michael and Esti Lupin, in memory of Liba Gabriela Bashmuel and Mermelstein, in honor of the Amuna class, Avi and Deborah uh, Orlin, in memory of her beloved daughter, Miriam Esther Bas Avram Yitzchak, Penny Perlman, in honor of the Goldbergs, Debbie Rand, in memory of her beloved mother, Mina Bas Hentel Tzivia, Alan and Tammy Rosendahl, in honor of her special birthday, Rita Rubin, in honor of a refuah for Avigah Maka Bas Chana Yehudis, and Maka Rosenberg, in memory of Shimon Ben Reb Yosef, whose your site is today. So thank you all very, very much. Thank you all very much. Uh, we really appreciate the sponsorship. And I want to thank my brother-in-law, Benjamin Michelle, who had the idea of, in honor of the 100 brachos and the 100th day, putting out these signs and worked with me on the signs. And each of the signs, which hopefully you paid attention to, there is the bracha in Hebrew, transliteration and English. And in a little box on each of the signs is a thought based on what we've learned the last several months, the thought that corresponds with each bracha. So if you had a bagel and you washed out in the washing station, there was one for Amatilas Yadayim, the notion of lifting our hands elevating ourselves in all we do, and each of the brachas from Hamotzi, Bari Pre'et, Bari Pre'adam, and so on, there is a thought, an Amuna thought based on our class that corresponds with the, uh, with the bracha, and uh, we could send out actually the signs to the whole group so people can continue to have those thoughts in mind with the brachas that we're reciting. And lastly, though she doesn't want to be thanked, 
I want to thank Esti Lupin for helping organize and prepare the breakfast this morning with her usual style and flair. So thank you, Esti. Okay, with that, we're ready to start learning, I think. Did I leave anybody out? No, four minutes of thank yous. Hopefully people fast forward. Okay, we're learning a new piece. We finished learning a piece from, from Revolben, the Alley Shore, in the second volume of a collection of his thoughts, his Vadim. Revolben was the Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. He was a spiritual giant of Israel, himself a fascinating background. Um, and he was uh, the Mashkiach. Mashkiach did not work in the kitchen at the yeshiva. He wasn't supervising the kashras of the food. Mashkiach Ruchani. He was supervising the kashras of the spirits, of the souls, of the young men in the yeshiva. And through his work with the young men whom he influenced and who he inspired, who he molded and shaped, we have his uh, vision recorded in two volumes called Ali Shor, and several new volumes have been published of his thoughts. So we learned a piece in the second volume. We're going backwards now to learn a piece in the first volume, also on this topic of Birchas Anenen. Why are we spending so much time? This is an Amunashir. Why are we spending so much time in an Amunashir on the topic of Birchas Anenen? And the answer is, as we've seen, because the, we have a tradition that the way that we can bolster and strengthen our faith, the way we can work out our Amunah muscle every single day, is through making brachos. If we have that level of mindfulness and consciousness, that as we go through our day, everything we benefit and everything we enjoy, that we stop and we pause and we say please and we say thank you, then in fact, we are increasing our amuna. That was the promise of Oba gave us in the last piece. And again, for, for some who are here for the first time or are back after a long time, we don't have breakfast every Wednesday morning at 8.45. <laughs> but we do have coffee and amuna every Wednesday morning at 8.45. If you want to join, we have a WhatsApp group to let you know whether we're on or off and sometimes to share some other thoughts in between, so let me know, we'll put you on that group. So again, the notion is that Revolba's promise was, really Chazal, our rabbi's promise was, take a day where you say a hundred brachos, not where you flippantly discharge and swallow the brachos faster than some of you swallowed your bagel, but you, you say the brachos slowly and carefully and mindfully, and you allow it to impact you. He promised us that even if you only paid attention for 10%, for 10 of the hundred brachos, at the end of the day, you'll be a different person. You're be rooted, the anchor, your connection to the source, to Hashem, your feeling, your overwhelming feeling of gratitude, of appreciation, your mindfulness with which you live life, your sense of being Eved Hashem, your sense, can you text Matthew to lower? Your sense of being Eved Hashem will be entirely and categorically different. Rav Chaim Vital, who was the primary principal student of the Arizal, the great Kabbalist, Rav Yitzchak Luria, the Arizal, the uh, Rav, Rav Chaim Vital had a tradition from his Rebbe, the Arizal, that the primary way to attain Ruach HaKodesh, a person who aspires to be able to receive uh, Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh means you want to have, not prophecy, but the level just below prophecy. You want to be most connected to God. You want to be the best version of yourself. You want to achieve shleimus, wholeness, completion as a person it's to recite birchas hanen and bekavana. It's to say these brachos. And he had a tradition that when we say a bracha, when we recite a blessing, when we acknowledge God in the food, what we're essentially doing is transforming the food from a physical, mundane, material object, serving our physical, mundane temptation and appetite, and we're injecting it with a spirituality. So we take a food, food for many of us, I can only speak for myself, and I, I've learned recently that I do a lot of self-disclosure in these classes because I meet people and they say, oh, how, how'd your kid do on the test or how's your son feeling? I, we've never met. How do you know me? I listen to your Amuna class. So, oh, okay. So, so um, 
I know that I battle with food every day. If you're a foodie, I can't stand people like Rabbi Moskowitz. Food means nothing to him. He could care less about it. It means nothing to him. He has no temptation, no desire for any unhealthy food. All he craves are carrots and celery, and he can't stand potato chips and cake. And, and that's just obnoxious. It's obnoxious. So if you're a food person and you love food and you love quantities of food and you love the taste of food and the aroma of food and the texture of food and, and trying different foods and spices of foods. So if you're a food person, which is the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people, it's in our DNA. So we know that food is one of the principal primary places that we battle. In fact, we have a tradition that the word lechem is the root of the same word milchama. The word battle, fight, war... Lechem, bread, which is the staple of all food. Dr. Atkins would say it's the greatest enemy in the food group. So lechem, bread, carbs, lechem is the source of milchama. So many people have many yetzaharas. Many people have different temptations and appetites and desires. Some want to help their kids cheat on the SATs and get into college. Others want to look at things on the internet they shouldn't be looking at. We have Dr. Fagan here this weekend to talk about that. Some are drawn to share the juiciest gossip and Lashon Hara they have. There's, all, there's no shortage of, of the, the smorg of options of Yitzhah Hara that people have. But an almost universal, with the exception of Rabbi Maskutz, an almost universal Yitzhah Hara that we all have is food. It's food. We eat types of food and quantities of food that are bad for us. And we're, it's self-destructive. We're sabotaging ourselves. And many of us hate ourselves after that kind of meal where we overate or ate things we didn't want to eat or ate things we promised we wouldn't eat or ate another meal when we said we were going to skip one. So lechem, milchama, it is the place of our greatest battle. It represents the most mundane. Everyone in the animal kingdom, humans and animals alike, need to eat. So food is, food is the platform. It's the battlefield. Food is the, is the, is the court where the war is waged. So... Rav Chaim Vital is quoting this tradition from the Arizal that when we make a bracha on that food, we've transformed it from something that brings us down, something that makes us hate ourselves, to something that brings us up and that makes us love ourselves. When you make that bracha, now I'm not suggesting that if you can make a bracha, then you don't have to diet, you don't have to be careful, you don't have to be discerning, judicious, eat anything you want, whatever time of day you want, however much you want. You still have to be careful. The bracha is not a schooler that you won't gain weight. What the bracha does is it transforms the experience from lechem and milchama, from a battlefield, to a spirit. You've just turned your dining room table, your kitchen table, you've just turned the restaurant table into a base medrash. You've turned it into a sanctuary. You've turned it into a shul. By making that bracha wherever, whenever, you've just turned your airplane seat. You're making a bracha on whatever food, you've now transformed it from the most base, low, mundane, You've elevated, you've lifted it, you've made it something real. Now, until now, we've suggested the idea that when you make a bracha, based on that Gemara, that if you enjoy and benefit from this world without saying please and thank you to Hashem, it's as if you have stolen. It's as if you have stolen from God. And that is an image that we're supposed to have. I wouldn't walk out of the supermarket and take food off the shelf without paying. I wouldn't eat in the restaurant and go home without paying. I can't benefit and enjoy and indulge in this world without paying. I have to pay the one owner who is the supermarket, who is the restaurant. I have to pay the currency called money. But the other owner, who's the owner of everything, God owns the whole world and everything in it. There would be no bread on the shelf if he didn't allow it to grow from the ground. There would be no fruit or vegetables if God didn't endorse, allow, enable those seeds to take root and for it to grow. So I thank the immediate owner through the currency of money, but I have to thank the ultimate owner, Lashem Ha'aretzum La'ah, and the currency with which I pay him is a bracha. And that's the model that we've been talking about until now, is 
even if you're not a person of such faith, and even if you struggle with God's existence, but you have honesty and integrity, are you a person who's, who's, who doesn't steal? If you're a person who doesn't steal, then don't steal from God either and make a bracha. Rav Shimshon David Pinkus, Zatzal, Rav Pinkus has a different, I don't even know if we're going to get to our source sheet today. We're going to get to it momentarily. But Rav Pinkus has a different view altogether. And I just saw this yesterday, and it, it, for me, had an enormous impact. It totally changes the way I think about or see this concept of Birch HaSanen and of making a bracha. And he says the following. Instead of viewing it that you can't walk out of the supermarket and not pay, and you can't enjoy food in this world without pay, think about it the other way. What if the restaurant owner is also a dear friend of yours? So in the restaurant, you have to pay because he can't afford to give all of his friends meals for free. So you go to a restaurant, maybe he throws in a dessert or a drink or a coffee. Depends how good a friend you are. But you're still going to get a bill at the end of the meal, and it'd be wrong. It'd be inappropriate. You'd be stealing if you go home and you didn't pay that bill and you didn't pay for what you took. But if you're a friend of the restaurant owner, you don't only eat in his or her restaurant. You're sometimes invited to their home. And when you eat in their home, at their dining room table, you eat there for a Shabbos meal or midweek or a barbecue on a Sunday, they don't hand you a bill at the end of that meal because that's not what friendship is. That's not what a relationship is. So when do you have to pay for a meal? You pay for a meal when the nature of the relationship is a business one, when there's a coldness, when there's a distance, when there is no real relationship. I don't know who owns the relationship. I don't know who owns the restaurant necessarily. They're not my friend. It's a business relationship. I went there, I paid, I'm a customer, they're the proprietor, I paid them for the goods and services I enjoyed. So I pay when I have a relationship of a client or a customer with a proprietor. But when I go to your home and it's the relationship of friendship, I'm not going to pay, you're not going to charge me. We're friends. So if Pinkus says, if you don't make a bracha, then it's a business relationship with Hashem. But when you make a bracha, you've created a friendship. And now he's invited you into his home, so you don't need to pay. It's not that the bracha is the currency and the payment. Rav Pinkis turns the whole thing around and says, if you don't make a bracha, if you live this lifestyle where God is not involved in your life, you don't see him, you don't acknowledge him, you don't thank him, you don't turn to him, you don't lean on him, you don't rely on him. God is not an active member, an active part of your life. So then, that's like the owner of the restaurant, the owner of the supermarket. When I go and I take something, I have to pay. So you owe God. But if you make a bracha, that is the foundation of the relationship. If you make a bracha, that is the means of communication. That's the, your building blocks of a friendship. So when you have the building blocks of a friendship, then after all, you don't need to pay. That's Rav Pincus's entirely different view of, of the way that we make bracha. So I want to look at this piece in Revolba, because I want to continue to harness our our mindfulness to make these hundred brachas a day. There is an app, if you go to the app store, at least on, on uh, Apple, iOS, there is an app to count a hundred brachas a day. Remember we talked about creating a Fitbit, just like Fitbit counts 10,000 steps, we need an app that counts a hundred brachas. The app does not hear you say the word baruch and automatically count it like your Fitbit does. It doesn't make you a little uh, kiddish at night when you hit 10,000 steps, you hit a hundred brachas, there aren't fireworks and it doesn't vibrate and make a party on your wrist. But, uh, but the app is a good means where you'll be much more mindful and conscientious throughout the day if you go to the app to program it every time. Oh, Mazonis, oh, Hamotzi, Asher Yatsu, Tfilosadar. You make the bracha and you add one and you'll see, oh, I'm 20 short. Oh, I'm 10 short. Oh, I have a long way to go. Oh, that didn't have mincha yet. That'll give me another 19. I'm good to go and so on. It creates a mindfulness and a consciousness of it. So as we're using this skula, it's not a skula in the superstitious hebe sense. It's a skula in the... God gave this to us as the treasure, as a gift, as a platform, as a means to connect with Him. A hundred times a day. A hundred th- Would your relationship not be enhanced with someone that you claim to care about 
whom you feel distance from, if you pledge to check in a certain amount of times a day, a hundred times might actually destroy your relationship. But if it were a different, if it were a different number, I don't know, call it, call it ten times a day. From when we wake up till we fall asleep ten times today, we need to check in. A check-in can be a phone call, a check-in can be a text, a check-in can be sending an interesting article, a, te- a check-in can be a voicemail, a check-in can be sending a picture. But ten times during the day, we've got to check-in. Do you think that at the end of the day, your relationship would look the same? Impossible. It would be different. So a hundred times during the day, we need this check-in. And we say, Hashem, there's so much bracha in my life. Now, normally, we're deaf. We don't hear it. We don't see it. We're so caught up in the momentum of our lives that we don't see it. So here, I'll give you some uh, disclosure. Our son had a problem with his tooth this week, and uh, he had an infection in his tooth. He had to have his tooth pulled. It was in a lot of pain. It was terrible. So I was holding him in my arms, and I said, Shai, we're going to daven to Hashem to take away the pain. So we dove into Hashem, we said, Hashem, make Shai feel better and make the pain go away and make it heal and let him be able to be happy and joyful and let him play and let him eat and let him be. I said, Shai, say amen. He said, amen. I said, now Hashem's going to answer you. So a minute went by, we're still just lying there, I'm holding him, and he said, I didn't hear him answer me. <laughs> Why didn't he answer? I didn't hear anything. So I realized we use that expression, Hashem will answer you. And to a six-year-old, they say, why don't I hear him? Where is he? So many of us are still six years old, where we look at the world and we say he didn't answer. Now, Shai's back in school, and his tooth feels so much better. And what a miracle of modern medicine that you can heal an infection with antibiotic and, uh, and a wrench. You can heal an infection, <laughs> basically. You can heal an infection. It's a miracle of modern medicine. So is not mature or old enough to realize a day later he answered me. I asked him to make the pain go away. I asked him to heal me. I asked him to make me happy and have fun again. And look at that. He doesn't realize because he's moved on. The problem is many of us are stuck at six years old. We ask Hashem for things in our time of need. And then when it comes, we forget we ever asked. And we certainly don't see him as the source of the one who provided it. So I can tell you this as a rabbi too. People meet all the time who are in crisis who need things. And you never find out what happened. They don't have the courtesy of calling back and saying, my kid got in, it worked out, we have the child, the marriage is wonderful now. Most overwhelming amount of people, they don't. So we move on because in the crisis you have the conversation and then you tend to move on. I don't need like a flurry of emails now filling me in (laughs) on how everybody's doing. I just hope everyone's doing wonderful and well and nothing would make me happier. But we turn to Hashem in that crisis and then we move on. And like a six-year-old, we don't mature and develop. We don't grow in our sophistication to realize, you know, I was knocked out by the flu. I was miserable with this cold. I asked Hashem, no, there are people with much more significant illnesses, but if you don't mind and you have some time, I could really go, I could really do without this flu. And then the flu healed. And when you have the flu, if anyone's had the flu, you feel like you'll never be able to lift your head from the pillow again. You were run over by a truck. You can't breathe. Everything hurts. You'll never be able to enjoy life another moment again. That's how you feel. And lo and behold, the next day a little better than that. And then the third day, wow, turn the corner, you feel better. Do you stop and say, Rebona Shalom? That's it. Thank you. Thank you for giving me back my health. So the hundred brachos a day are to help us to go from 60 years old to the maturity of a 60-year-old. You don't have to wait until 60. But it's to help us be able to throughout our day say, wow, that worked out. What I was nervous about. Was that going to work out? I'm concerned about this. How will this turn out? I need your help. I'm turning to you. I'm relying on you. I'm leaning on you. And Hashem answers. Let's look inside. First thing Revolba does is define our words. Because if we're going to say this bracha every day, we might as well know exactly what we're saying. We might as well understand the words. So let's start with the word baruch. We alluded to this a little bit last time. The word baruch. Baruch atahu makor koriboy habrachos vashbos. The nefesh Rav Chaim 
was the primary or the principal student, Talmud Mufak, of the Gerah, the Vilna Gon. Rav Chaim Velazhner says, the word Baruch is the makor, is the source of riboy ha-brachot zvashbos. He is the source of all blessing. He is the source of all good, of all pleasure. Baruch al-mishka racham chanan kadosh. The Avud Raham says the word Baruch is kindness, compassion, holiness. God is the source of all of these things. And these are the things that we're supposed to be thinking about when we say that word. So Revolba is quoting first the Rav Chaim Velazhen the word Baruch. So just the word Baruch you can get stuck on. It could take you half an hour to say the word Baruch. I'm not suggesting it should. There are things we've got to get done during the day. But just the word Baruch. God, you are the Makor Bracha. You are the source of any blessing. Anything in my... The stock market went up. My favorite team won the game last night. I had delicious coffee just now with a friend. Delicious conversation. My marriage is wonderful. I'm getting nachas from my children. So the bracha, I'm saying the word baruch, but I'm not just saying it on the pineapple or the coffee or the water or coming out of the bathroom. When I say the word baruch on the directed thing, I'm also thinking about the more expansive all the bracha in my life. Baruch, makor bracha. God, you are the source of all that blessing. Yes, I work hard, and yes, I take pride in the blessing that I achieve, but you are the makor, you are the source of all of that, of all of that bracha. There are other interpretations, I'll just share with you some. The Chizkuni says the word baruch, kol lashon baruch gabe kodesh baruch, lashon nesina shalom, lashon shevach. It's an expression of greeting. He says, when you see a friend, you say shalom aleichem. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Whatever your greeting is, the greeting with Hashem is Baruch. The way we open a conversation with God, the greeting that we initiate is Baruch. Says the Chizkuni, that's how we greet God. And why do we greet Him in that way? The greeting I have with you is Shalom Aleichem. It's a beautiful insight of Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal on the word Shalom Aleichem. Shalom, peace, Aleichem. Aleichem is in the singular or plural? plural? It's in the plural. Why are we saying it in the plural? If I'm greeting all of you, I say, Shalom Aleichem, ladies. Good morning. It's our 100th Amunash year. But if I'm just saying hello to one person, why am I saying Shalom Aleichem? I should say Shalom Alecha. Aleich, Shalom on you. Why Aleichem in the plural? And what do you respond? Aleichem Shalom. Why did you switch it? Why do we get confused over here? Why don't you say Shalom Aleichem back? So Lubavitch Rebbe is a great insight. He says, when I engage you, when I encounter you, I am implicitly acknowledging that we're different. We may have different views, we may have different tastes, we may come from different backgrounds, we may have different personalities, we may have different religious observances, we may have different political affiliations, we may have different orientations on a whole host of things. And my wish and hope for the interaction we're about to have is Shalom. May there be peace between us. Aleichem in the plural is because I'm not just greeting you, my greeting is about us. I'm blessing us. Shalom, may there be peace. May we find what we have in common, not which we have differently. May we even, that which we differ about, may we disagree agreeably. May the result of our encounter, of our relationship, of our conversation, may we walk away with a sense of shalom. Shalom aleichem. On us, let there be shalom. And you respond, that's what I want also. Aleichem. On us, shalom. Yeah, that's also my goal. That's also my mission. Now, a lot of people say, Shalom Aleichem, you Oisvarf, no good nick, you're not really from, and you vote for the wrong person, and I have no use for you, and you're terrible, and you don't believe like me. So they undermine the whole purpose of saying these words, so they should say, Sina Aleichem, not Shalom Aleichem. So, beautiful greeting that we have. In that greeting itself, he unpacks that greeting that so many of us have heard or said for so many years, and in that greeting itself is a tefillah, is a prayer, that our interaction, our, our communication, 
our relationship, let it not be confrontational, let it result, let us walk away with an increased sense of shalom, of peace between us. So that's the wish that I have when I greet a human. What's the greeting to God? How do you say shalom aleichem to God? God, I hope this goes well, I hope there's shalom between us. How do you greet God? What's the relationship? How does the greeting God? So that's what he's saying, the chizkuni. The greeting to God is the word baruch. Not shalom. God, I want you to know, I feel so blessed to have you in my life. God, you are the source of all blessing, and I am so blessed to have an audience with you right now. I am so fortunate, I am so lucky, I am so grateful that I have the chance to talk to you and to thank you for this apple, for this pear, for this coffee, and so on and so forth. That is the interpretation of the chizkuni. The Rajba, the Rajba, Shlomo ben Adaris, has a different interpretation. The Rajba says the word bracha comes from the word brecha. Brecha means a reservoir of water or a flow. A brecha is a, is a river, a flow. So the word bracha implicitly includes Hashem, all blessing flows from you. So maybe this person did this thing for me. Or maybe I think the universe provided that thing for me, but I realize that wherever I think it's coming from, they're just your agent. They're just your ambassador. Really, you are the reservoir of all blessing. In truth, all blessing ultimately, really, is coming is coming from you. Chaim Velashim, the Nefesh we just read, is that riboy brachos multiplicity and abundance. God doesn't give out blessings sparingly. God gives it out. We are able to receive it. We benefit. We enjoy it. We love it with a sense of a multiplicity of blessings. That's the word baruch. What's the next word in a bracha? Every bracha? Good. Say it out loud. Half of this is in honor of you. Say it out loud. The Chavit says, Bracha also comes to the word Berach, which means your thigh, your knee, that we defer, we bow. Baruch God, I defer to you. So I think I'm the head honcho, I'm the CEO of life, I've got all the answers, I've made all this money, I'm responsible for all the success, but now I'm going to have a sip of water and I have to bow to you. Because you know, with all my success and all my achievement and all of my thinking I'm right and I have the right perspective on everything, well, you know what, I wouldn't have this cup of water without you. I turned on the faucet and water came out. You don't make a bracha on taking a shower. But water came out of the shower. You understand what a blessed time we're living in? That we don't have to go down to a well with a bucket of water and heat it to take the bath we're going to take once a month or once a year because of how difficult it is to have access to flowing, running water. There's such a blessing that we have water. We have water to drink and we're not worried about the, the level of the sea and will we have enough and desalinating and so on and so forth. What a bracha. So on a cup of water, I say a shahakol, I'm not just saying thank you because I'm so thirsty. It's a hot boka summer day. I just walked to shul. I'm par, I walked home from shul. I'm parched. I'm thirsty. I'm dehydrating. And uh, a geschmack ice cold water that absolutely cools me off and nourishes me and hydrates me. Wow, shahakol niebed varo. It all comes from you. That bracha on the cup of water is also a bracha that when I turned on the faucet, the water flowed from the shower. And I didn't have to jump in and jump out because I had 20 seconds because there's a, a uh, shortage of water. I was able to stand under a hot shower as long as I wanted. And I was able to cook with as much water as I needed. And shakol, all the water. So the word bracha could also come from the word berech, which means no matter how big of a hot shot I think I am, no matter how accomplished, how much I've achieved, how smart, no matter who I am, what I've amassed, what I've accumulated, this cup of water wouldn't be here without you. Berech, bracha. I got to bow down, I bend, I defer, and I recognize however much I think I'm responsible, I defer to you, you're the senior partner. The second word in every bracha. What's the second word in every bracha? Atah. That was not a trick question. Which is, what does it mean? That's a big deal. 
talking to God in first person, you, Ata, Ponim al Hashem Balashem Nochach, Paolamu Mizgala Ide Masa, Varotu Lios Kashur Eleno, Lachain and Uponim Elavis Barch, Ponim Uponim, Nora Maod. Says Ravol, but that is wondrous. That is enormous. The fact that Hashem invites us to refer to Him as you. As you. Bless, all blessing comes, not, we don't say in third person to Hashem, from Hashem. We have a notion of Kavadah Torah. People refer to a, their Rebbe in third person. Rebbe this, Rebbe that. Does Rebbe want a cup of water? Does the Rebbe, the Rebbe, the Rosh Hashiva, the Rav, Rebbe. In third person people talk about. People will talk to some dignitary, an honored person in third person to give respect in general. It's a great sign of respect. What an honor to meet the president. Whatever. What an honor to meet the prime minister. Whatever. What an honor to meet... I don't know, someday again we'll live in a time when it'll be an honor to meet a president or a prime minister. Whatever. What an honor to meet past presidents, past prime ministers, future presidents. What an, so you're not going to say, what an honor to meet you. What an honor to meet the president. Mr. President, thank you for having me. You don't say you. And yet... Despite those human relationships demanding the deference of third person, Hashem invites us to say, Ata, because we're his children. You don't, even though there's a halacha here too, but you don't, a casual, you have a casual relationship with a parent. Would, would, would Abba like something to drink? Halavai. Would Abba like something, <laughs> would Abba like something to drink? Abba just wants you to listen to him. That's all. And we'll, start, we'll be happy with that. But you, because you're my child, we have a casual, comfortable relationship. Hashem says, you're my child. We have a casual, comfortable relationship. He invites us to use you. And that is noram ma'od. That's something which is enormous. Next, baruch you are the source of all blessing. I defer to you. I bend at my knee. You are reboy. You are an abundance of blessing. You are brecha. All blessing flows from you. Ata, you. Hashem. Hashem kechsivasohu. Now, Hashem is spelled Yud and then a Hey and then a Vav, then a Hey. I'm not going to start dancing to Hashem Melech, Hashem Melech now. But Yud ke Vav ke, Yud, then Hey, then, then Vav, then Hey, which has in it at its root Hayaho Veviya. What are you supposed to think about when you say the name of God that we pronounce as Aleph Dalad Nun Yud? Right? The name of God in the context of Torah will say his name. Then when we say Adonai, Yud ke Vav ke, what are you supposed to be thinking about? We have, God has a lot of nicknames. Each one is supposed to elicit from us a different feeling, a different connection, a different relationship. What do we think about when we say, So the way it's spelled, Yud, Hey, then Vav, then Hey, at its root has Haya, Hove, He was, He is, and He will be. That's mind boggling. No matter how old the oldest person we know, but we know they weren't always here. And no matter how much we feel we may live forever, we know that we're already dying from the day we're born. So to think that there is a being who was, who is, and who will be, he's outside of time, he's not bound by time, he's infinite. We don't even understand what that means. It's beyond our comprehension because everyone and everything that we relate to operates and is bound by time. So we don't even understand. In fact, the Rambam points out, when we talk about God, we can't talk about what he is, we only talk about what he's not. We can't relate to what he is. So we just say he's not bound by time, he's not bound by space. What does it mean to be beyond space? I have no idea. What does it mean to be beyond time? I have no idea. I just know those who are bound by time, and he's not us. He's not that thing. And that's what we're supposed to be thinking about. Yud, then Vav, then Hey, then Vav. Hayah, He was, he is, he will be. Unlike everyone and everything I know, 
The second law of thermodynamics is entropy. It means that order goes to disorder. That's why the food is delicious this morning, but eat it in three days from now, and it'll be moldy and spoiled and rotten. And that's why we humans, the older we get, we start getting a little moldy and spoiled and rotten. We age. We age on the outside and on the inside and some in their attitude and personality. But we age. Entropy. The world order goes to disorder. Time has its impact on everyone and everything. Nobody, including Walt Disney, who froze himself, but nobody has been able to conquer the impact of time. Time causes decay. Time causes compromise. It corrupts and it compromises. So no one's been able to conquer time. Nobody. But there's only one being who operates outside of time. So we can't identify or relate to what it is. All we can think about is what it's not. And what it's not is what we know, the impact of, of time. So that's number one. This is also really important. In that name of God, in that name of is the notion that not only is he hoveh, not only does he exist, but he's mehaveh. He, is, he wills everything into existence. We wouldn't be here without God. We're only here. We're only here. We're up to Mizmah Shech Hanukkah Sabai Sadavid in the Siddur snippets. I skipped last night. I take off like one night a week, but we skipped last night. In it we say, Chaim Birtsono. One of the psukim, one of the phrases in Mizmah Shir is Chaim Birtsono. I forgot who I saw says, Chaim, our whole life, if we're here, it's Birtsono. It's only because God wills it. God signed off on it. Someone still has a job, we signed off on it. The bank let you take the loan, someone signed off on it. The things that we have in life, the blessings we have in life, someone had to sign off. And our very being here, our mere existence, is only because God has signed off on it. He's willed it. He's allowed it. He's given us license to live. And if He wants to revoke that license, if He stops willing it, we stop living. So He is Mehaveh. He is, he is the source of all that exists. The Balatanya, the Alta Rebbe, talks about it with the following mashal, the following imagery. If I told you to all close your eyes and picture... A red car. Picture a red car. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Picture a red car. Does everyone see the red car? Everyone's seeing different red cars. But you see the hood and the shape, the angle of the hood, what the headlights look like. You see the back, how big is the trunk, and doesn't have one of those uh, things on top of it, aerodynamic uh, things on top of it, with the back headlights. What is the, the, I don't even know how to describe cars. But you're picturing a red car. Picture a red car. Does the red car exist? The image of a red car, does it exist? Yes. Okay, now open your eyes and come back to your bagel and uh, salad and uh, tuna fish and sipping your coffee and stop thinking about the red car. Does the red car continue to exist? Yes. yes. No. It, because it is an image, which is the result of your imagination, it exists as long as you imagine it. But the moment that you cease to imagine it, the image disappears. And the Alter Rebbe says... That metaphor is exactly what we are to Hashem. The Ribona Shalom has the most vivid imagination. He's, only, he's all that really exists. Anything else that exists is an image in his imagination. We are living in the matrix. We are an illusion. Really, Hashem is that background uh, computer screen, the green numbers running. Kodesh Baruch God, the Almighty, is all that really exists. And we are that matrix, that illusion, we are the image in his mind's eye, so to say. So just like a human being, so long as they imagine the image, the image exists. 
and when they stop to imagine the image stops to exist, so too, Chaim Birtzono, we're only here as long as God wills it, He imagines it, He signs off on it. And the second He stops, we're gone. Not just we're gone, that the distinct human being passes away, doesn't merit to wake up that morning. We're gone as, if the whole, as in the whole world is gone. The whole world is gone. Right? A mile closer to the sun, a mile further from the sun, we're all gone. God wills us to cease existing. It wouldn't be hard for that to happen. If he stops imagining us, we're gone. So when we think that word, Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud, every time we say Baruch, we say what that means. Atah, I have a casual, comfortable relation with Hashem. I'm able to talk to Him directly. Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud, you you were, you are, you will be, and you will everything that exists into existence. Kavana zos kolelas is batlas gemurah the fun of his barach. The purpose of a bracha, therefore, says Revolba, is in the moment I say the bracha, I'm absolutely nullifying and submitting myself to you. God, after I make the bracha, I go back to being me. After I make the bracha, there's room in the world for me again. I go back to work. I go back to whatever I was cooking. I go back to the conversation I was having. I go back to the leadership I was displaying. I go back to the difference I was making. After I conclude the bracha, I go back to taking my place in the world where I have a role to play. But during the bracha, there is no me. All there is is you. During the bracha, there's no accomplishment, there's no achievement, there's no drive, there's no status, there's no honor, there's no... All there is is you. Baruch, ata, you, Hashem, you are the source, the master of absolutely everything. Hamamalakol olmen, you fill the whole world. Viamukamod is very deep. The only other time that we have to think that this definition of that word, the name for Hashem, is when we say Shema. Hashem kekriyaso, Adon kol. God, you are the Adon kol. Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud, the way we pronounce. Yud, then Vav, then Hey, then Vav. Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud has the root Adon. You are the master. I think I'm the master. I think I'm in charge. I'm the president. I'm the CEO. I'm the director. I'm the chief rabbi. I think I'm in charge. No, 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 no. While I'm making a bracha and I'm realizing I don't, I don't have any of this without you. I don't have, there's plenty of people smarter than me. They don't have this. There's plenty of people more charismatic than me. They don't have this. So is it my charisma and my smarts that caused me to have it? It's you. You signed off on it. And I'm deferring to you. And I'm submitting to you. And I'm nullifying myself in your presence. For this moment, there is no me. All there is is you. And because you will me, I'll go back to being me after the bracha. But for the bracha, I interrupt my day. Maybe we'll end with this. I thought we were going to do both sides of this page today. But maybe we'll end with this. That God, when I say a bracha a hundred times a day, I'm reminding myself, don't be anxious and don't be worried and don't be afraid. Because Hashem's in charge. The only time that we should have, the only type of healthy anxiety is the anxiety that stimulates us to do better, to do more, to grow. So if I'm anxious about, will I produce? Well, I better spend more time. I better be better prepared. That's a healthy anxiety. I'm channeling a nervous energy into being a better me. But an anxiety that says, I did everything I could. I did the best I could do. And now I'm still so worried about what will be. What will be with the diagnosis? What will be with the flight? What will be with my grandchildren? What will be with the weather? What will be with the vacation? What will be with that anxiety is actually an expression of heresy. You're denying God. Because if you believe that we operate and live in a world where He's in charge, He's the master of everything, He runs and operates the entire world, and everything that happens, happens for a reason, then you could walk through life 
with peace and serenity and tranquility. The tranquility that we all crave so badly. I just wrote a piece that's going to come out in Mishpacha before Pesach about how Pesach, which is supposed to liberate and free us, instead, the anxiety over preparing for Pesach enslaves us and robs us and depletes us of any freedom we thought we had. When am I free? When I'm at the farthest point from the calendar from Pesach. And when am I not free? When I sit down to the Seder. And I got to serve this huge group of people and set the table and time the food with however long these children are going to give these endless gematria divrei Torah. And I'm free that night? That's the opposite of freedom. That's shackles. That's, that's relentless, brutal slavery. So I wrote a whole article that that's not... It's up to us. It's up to us. The difference between being a thermostat and a thermometer... A thermometer tells you what temperature it is. A thermostat lets you adjust it. So many of us, we're very, very good at being thermometers. I'll tell you all about how anxious I feel, how angry, how envious, how worried, how this, how that. We're a thermometer. You want to know how I'm feeling? I can tell you exactly how I'm feeling. But we don't have to just be a thermometer. We have the capacity. We have the controls. We have the access to being a thermostat. Don't just know your temperature. Control it. Manipulate it. Lower it. Raise it, depending on what's going on in life. So how do we lower the temperature of anxiety, worry less? How do we lower the temperature of envy? How do we lower the temperature of anger? We shouldn't submit and say, well, that's just how I am. It's my DNA. It's how I was born. It's who my family is. That's just, well, I have a lot to worry about. If you knew what I had to worry about, you'd be worried too. Or if you knew what that person did, you'd also be angry and filled with rage. We, we're good thermometers. We tell you exactly how we feel, and then we make every excuse in the world why we can't be a thermostat. But we can. We can liberate ourselves. We can enter Pesach. I know it's not even Purim. But we can enter Pesach. We can enter Pesach finally feeling free. Because the difference between being enslaved or liberated is the difference between being a thermometer or a thermostat. When you know your temperature but you feel helpless to control it, you're enslaved by the way others make you feel. And when you're a thermostat, that you realize, you know what, I have the controls. I can't control people and circumstances and things around me. But I can control how I feel, how I react how it makes me feel. I can change the temperature in my life. There's nothing more liberating. And you can go like a mensch into Pesach and into the Seder, calm, tranquil, peaceful, well-rested, happy, fulfilled, satisfied. You could be a a thermometer who blames the world and the rabbis for making you so miserable, or you could own up, take extreme ownership and be a thermostat and say, I'm going to control it in my life. And one of the ways to do that, we have a hundred times a day a reminder about what to do to do that. That's the purpose of the May Brachos. So as we celebrate our 100th class together, I want to thank those who've been on this journey and ride. We basically say the same thing 100 times. What I just said in the last two minutes is what we say every week. We've said the same message. We've now said it 100 times, and we needed 100,000 more. Because in between the Wednesdays, we forget it. We get nervous and anxious and envious and angry, and we forget it. So it's really a self-help group. It's really a, a support group that we're working out our Amuna muscle, and we're trying to grow to remember that we're not in charge, we can control our feelings and our lives, we can achieve that tranquility, that peace, and that happiness, and the means to do it is a hundred brachas a day. So happy hundredth class, continue to enjoy more food, thank you to all the sponsors, and may we, the result of our hundred brachas a day, help us feel closer to Hashem.